Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God from the Holy Gospel for today in St. Luke chapter 14, where Jesus says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is God's word. Jesus says salt is good, but that would kind of go contrary to the modern medical wisdom that says we need to cut back on how much salt is in our diets. And indeed, that can be the case. And yet, Jesus' words are true. There are benefits to salt. As we still sit here sweltering a little bit at the end of summer, I'm reminded of two-a-day football practices when I was in high school. And I'll never forget the marching orders the coaches gave us after the morning practice. Drink a lot of water. Eat carbs, which are like the worst thing ever now, right? No, they're not, but they can be. Eat carbs and eat a lot of salt. Because what does salt do? What happens to you when you eat a lot of salty food? How many of you, your, your fingers kind of swell up a little bit? You, you retain water. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but when you're out in the heat and doing things like football practice, you want that actually to happen, to keep your body hydrated. So, for the record, my uh, meal of choice was typically about a one-pound bag of pasta with about a half a stick of butter and as much salt as I could tolerate on it. I still love that today, even though I don't eat it anymore. Salt has the ability to, of course, flavor a thing. We often call things that don't have enough salt, and then we say they're bland. And so often, how many of you, the first thing you do when you get your meal, whatever it is, you haven't even tasted it yet, I think there was an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond about this where uh, Frank and Marie got in a fight because every time Marie would serve Frank his meal, the first thing he would do is put salt on it. And she yelled at him because she said, how do you even know it needs salt? You haven't even tasted it yet. And yet that was the first thing he did. That's me too. I salt my food. I love that salty taste. Salt adds flavor. It can bring out and enhance the flavor of a thing. But salt also has the ability to preserve. And so we know that in times before they had refrigeration, if you wanted to preserve specifically meat, they would often pack it into salt. And that would cure it and preserve it. And you could extend the life of that meat in a time when there was no option to refrigerate it, much less freeze it. Salt is good. Jesus says, and he is comparing you, the people of God, to salt. In fact, Jesus goes at length here in our gospel today to refer to you as more than the people of God. But he would invite us to look at ourselves, the church, as the family of God. 
Now, I didn't initially set out to do this because the next three weeks, I'm going to be preaching specifically on what it means to be God's family. And I didn't intend to start it here on Labor Day weekend when I knew some people wouldn't be here. They're out of town. They've got things going on. But it's right here in the text and it can't be avoided when you see it. So this morning I want to begin to introduce to you what it means to be the family of God by just talking about some general qualities about that family and how we know that we are God's family. Jesus says something very provocative in our gospel today that when we hear it in our 21st century American English-speaking ears, it probably makes us uncomfortable. Here again the words towards the beginning of our gospel. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus tells us to hate our families and even our own life. What is that all about? Now, it seems to go contrary to everything we've been taught in Holy Scripture, that husband and wife in marriage are to love and honor each other, parents are to love their kids, and we're to honor father and mother. It's one of the commandments for crying out loud. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean hate in terms of emotion, animosity, resentment. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, this is basically an Old Testament way of getting your priorities straight. It has to do with where you place things in relationship to each other. If you place something too highly and you need to bring it lower, you're being told, in Jesus' words, to hate it. And if you're not placing something high enough and being told to elevate it, Jesus would call that loving it. What Jesus is calling us towards is recognizing that the family of God exists above even our own earthly families. Now, a lot of times we will use our earthly experiences with family to try and understand what God is like. So, for example, God calls himself our Father. And what we will do is we will reflect on our own experiences here on earth with fathers and project them onto God. I once heard of a woman who really struggled with the church calling God the Father. And the reason for that wasn't because she thought it was patriarchal or chauvinistic or somehow sexist, as some might claim today. Her problem was she had a horrible earthly father who was abusive and cruel. And to hear God spoken of as father was problematic for her. Now, one answer could be to stop using those terms to describe God. 
we will, of course, not do that since his word tells us he is our father. Instead, we recognize that God's family is above all families. And therefore, if we want to know what an earthly father should look like, we must look to the heavenly father first. The father who is indeed just and righteous and disciplines his children but also cares for, provides for, protects, loves, and forgives his children. We don't understand God by looking at earthly fathers who every single one of them is a sinner. We look to the Heavenly Father to know what an earthly father ought to look like. And that's why for the church, the matter of family, family as God has designed it, not as the world tries to pervert it and corrupt it, but family as God dictates it, of a father and a mother in loving Christian marriage, raising children together, it's why we must stand for it and must defend it. Because every earthly family should be a picture of, the heavenly family, at the head of whom is a father who loves and cares for his children. It is indeed not easy to be an earthly family or to be the family of God in our present age. Jesus as much as tells us, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be by a disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to being a member of God's family. There's no cost to get into it. That is salvation by grace through faith alone. It costs you nothing to be a part of God's family. It costs you nothing to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But dear Christians, once you are, it will cost you everything. Because such is the life when the family of God is placed above all other things. As Christians, we daily count the cost. Knowing that being a follower of Christ, being a child of God, will not be popular. It will not be easy. It will not be comfortable. It will put us at odds with the world. Jesus goes on to tell of a king going out to encounter another king in war. That Will, will he not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 
to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Imagine such a king that has to decide whether or not he can defeat an advancing opponent and having to set aside his pride and realize that he can't. I think earthly experience teaches us that political leaders seldom have such humility. And yet, the way of our Lord Jesus Christ and being a part of that family requires a different attitude and a different approach. In our epistle today, we heard the entirety of the book of Philemon, 21 verses, a short letter from St. Paul written to a rich man named Philemon who had had some sort of falling out with his slave named Onesimus. Now, Paul had encountered Onesimus after he had left his owner, Philemon. Now, slavery is a bit of a problematic term, and I should probably insert this right here. Biblical slavery wasn't always the same way as we think of it in terms of American slavery in the 1800s. Often, slavery was the result of needing to pay a debt. Okay? So, if I owed you um, a certain amount of money and I didn't have the money to pay it back, you could legally employ me as your slave and I would work off the debt that I owed to you. So, there were laws given about how this was to be conducted among the people of God. And there was a time when all old debts were were to be forgiven, a year of jubilee, when slaves were set free, where rented land was returned to its owner and such things. Now, Onesimus was a slave who had found himself at odds with his owner, Philemon. And Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, along with a letter telling Philemon that he, Paul, will pay for any debt that Onesimus owes. And calling on Philemon to receive Onesimus back, and not just receive him back as a slave once again, do you notice what Paul refers to him as in that text? He says to receive him as a brother. Now, By earthly standards, Philemon would be a fool to do so. That's not wise business practice. That's not shrewd management of what you have. But it is the different way in which we are called to live in the family of God. Where God is our Father. And what does that make us? brothers and sisters, with the same Father. You see, dear friends in Christ, such a mindset, such a way for the church is like salt that has power to both flavor and to preserve. You see, at this very moment, and this is true of the church in every age, and so it is true for this moment as well, the church, the people of God, the family of God, are to be like salt in the world. 
And salt that no longer has flavor or has the ability to preserve, as Jesus reminds us, it's useless. But that is not true of us. The church is precisely what will preserve what is good and right in the world and what will flavor it or season it, if you will, that change might be effected. Yes, it is God who brings about change, and yet he sees fit to use his people like you and me to make it happen. I want you to consider some of the things with which the world wrestles and look at them as the family of God learns to see it. Take, for example, that buzzword, identity. Where we're told to pit one identity against another or to change identity or to see ourselves in terms of a certain identity. And yet, what is your identity when the family of God is above all other things, even your earthly family? You are a child, loved, and redeemed, and forgiven by the one who sheds his blood for you, Christ our Lord. He, Jesus, who did count the cost, knew exactly what it would take to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil, and knowing the cost, Paid it in full. Your identity is found as a member of that family. We're told to seek justice, another buzzword of our times. Justice for the oppressed, justice for one group or another group, and yet, how does it work in the family of God? All people, regardless of race or gender or supposed privilege, stand equally condemned by the law of God. And yet in this family, God in his unending mercy and compassion sees fit to forgive and rescue all. That is God's justice. Love. What does love look like in the family of God? It has nothing to do with desires of the flesh, but it is shown to us in the one who died for us and rose again. That is love. Love that lays down life for another. Love shown to us in Christ our Lord. And which we, the family of God, carrying the cross of Jesus Christ, exhibit to the world around us. I want you to think for a moment what the family of God is able to accomplish. Knowing that in the family of God, we have identity. We find justice. And above all, love.
That makes you salt. That's what you have to spread through the world. In your relationships, in your vocations, wherever you go, you are salt, dear family of God. God at work through you in his blessed family to do what he has promised and to work in and among us as he alone is able to do. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.